Hello, my good man. Welcome, everyone. It's time for On the Couch with Sick and Bloom. A lot of crazy, crazy things. Looking at fantasy football from a deeper place. This is going to be a changing day in your life. And now here's your host, Sick and Bloom. But I would not bone my mother. Who's going to come out looking the smartest whenever we see the next chapter of the Cam Newton Chronicles? That and more this week on the couch. Joined by Chris Allen, Maiden Voyage, first of many. Chris, who's going to look the smartest in a few months when we see, hopefully, Cam Newton play football again? Uh, well, ultimately, it has to be Bill Belichick is going to look the smartest. I mean, regardless of if Cam plays... Uh, five games he plays the full season. I mean, the the only person that's going to wind up harvesting like the most value out of Cam Newton is going to be Bill Belichick. I mean, he's going to he's. I mean, we've seen him do it time and time again. It doesn't matter if it's an older, decrepit. Uh, I think it was uh, when Chad Ochocinco was there mm-hmm. for for a hot minute. Um, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, I mean, any of the guys that have come through that organization and just been there for a quick second. I mean, Josh Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, Antonio Brown. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, Bill Belichick knows how to get value out of the players that he brings on to that franchise. And then once they, again, it sounds, sounds cruel. It sounds like just Belichickian in a sense that once you are done being able to quote unquote do your job, then it's time to move on. I think he'll wind up looking the smartest out of all of us. Yeah, well, as always, right? I mean, he's like the archetype football coach, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the grand. And, and what it is is it's having such a program that is entrenched in all the players that you can take on all of these chances. Because you can make a list of Albert Haynesworth and, you know, like you said, Antonio Brown. There have been some flops. Mm-hmm. But then there's been Randy Moss. Yes. I remember we were just getting started in the fantasy industry. We Our first season of our show, The Five-Minute Drill, like 10 years too early in fantasy football video. Uh, and we didn't know what to make of Randy Moss because the last time we had seen him, he quit on his team. And I just felt like I'm not going to tell people to draft a player that the last time I saw him, he quit on his team. And then we didn't see Randy Moss for all of preseason and camp. Remember that? Belichick mm-hmm. had his little, well, for now. He's going to take rid of this. And we thought, that's weird. I don't know what it means, though. <laughs> um, but Belichick can take those chances. I remember in the Pepper Johnson interview, uh, was talking about Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. And he said all the veterans on the team would have been mad at Belichick if he had played right, Malcolm Butler, right, whatever right. it was, because everybody is that bought into the program. So you can take a chance, although this isn't taking a chance on character or taking a chance on how the locker room is going to handle it. It's going to be Cam Newton's locker room. Chris, this is one of the things that's baffling to me. I'm just curious what you think about this. I sat here for the last two or three months. People that listen to the show are probably annoyed to hear me bring this up again. That I was just baffled that Cam Newton was available. because, And some people thought, well, he's going to want $20 million because he's a starter. Well, no, one-year, $1 million deal with incentives up to $7.5 million. That's barely even starter money at some positions. So he was out there for the taking. Maybe he was waiting for the spot he wanted. But I just don't understand, even with injury concerns and, oh, coronavirus, how are you going to give him a physical? I mean, there's been two- or three-month lags between the announcement of these deals and the consummation with the physical. Um, 
is it Cam's personality? I'm making air quotes when I say that. How could one of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation be a free agent for so long in a league that is desperate to get quarterbacks? I think it comes down to a part of it is his persona, but like not, not in a negative light. I think it's more of what he winds up bringing to the, bringing to his team. But also I think part of it is the injury. But to me, it's been baffling as well because we've seen other quarterbacks. Uh, we've seen Andy Dalton wind up finding right. a home. I mean, Nick Foles wind up finding a home. <laughs> Jameis Winston post LASIK. Uh, yeah. finding a home as, as well. And so for me, it, the only thing that I can come back to that at least helps me, uh, helps me make sense of it all is the injury. Like if he, if he was even able to make it through, let's say more than what the four or five games that he struggled through, uh, last season, then I think there might have been more of a case for him to be signed earlier. That's, that's my thought process. The only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, past that, it's just how can, how could Chicago wind up taking Nick Foles over Cam Newton. I mean, how could, right. I mean, I don't think Dallas really would have wound up, wound up taking uh, uh, Cam Newton like over Andy Dalton, because I think they had the eyes on the prize being Dak Prescott. But at least for me, it's just, it's more has to do with the injury situation. And then where we find ourselves in these, in these COVID times with the unable to get the medical attention that's required in order to evaluate him from that standpoint and then move on from there. Because otherwise it's just, how can again? How do these? How do the Patriots keep doing this? Yeah. How do they keep winding up getting these just? I mean, just basement value value for some of the hottest commodities that are out there on the market. When a lot of teams will just summarily look at a player and just no. I mean, we've got we have we have other priorities, and we're going to go wind up investing in X player. And for me, it doesn't doesn't make much of a sense much sense at all because even from a team building perspective in the football world, I mean, how do you not take a chance on a player like that? I mean, I how do you look at how do you look at what he's done? I mean, even if you want to go back uh, two, three, four years, I, I don't. I mean, he's still in the prime of his career. So how do you summarily just say, well, the injuries have gotten to be too much. There's no way that we could adjust our current scheme or current uh, current system to fit somebody like Cam Newton. Just say, nah, I'd, I'd rather roll with whomever is out there on the market right now and just and kick him aside. I would if I was sitting in New Orleans, why would you not? Right. I mean, at what point do you say that Jameis Winston would have been a better option for you than, than Cam Newton. I, I, to me, I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I think in the case of Chicago, it's Matt Nagy and Matt Waldman. The, took seven minutes for me to bring up Matt Waldman. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was talked about this idea that coaches are brought, think they're brought in to do their system mm-hmm. and their, whatever their special sauce or secrets are. Uh, and Matt Nagy knows that Nick Foles will be an extension of him on the field where Cam Newton is going to be Cam Newton, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things we have to know about Cam Newton is he's got a, a big personality. Right. I, I really believe teams take on the personality of their quarterback and their head coach. And uh, it, it's not some, it's, it's bringing in something as a coach that you have to find a middle ground with, as opposed to somebody that's going to fall in line with your system. I don't understand how Denver could pick Jeff Driscoll, over Cam Newton as the fallback plan for Drew Locke. But I bet you that if John Elway is invested in Drew Locke, then there's this idea, well, what happens if the locker room starts getting behind Cam Newton? Mm-hmm. And you yeah. plan on going into the start, you know. So there's this volatility. And Bill Belichick, I think, has enough confidence 
in his players to understand that while he's going to take input and he's going to be a listener, he's also at the end of the day, the final word on these things. Mm-hmm. And people are, are going to go along with that. He trusts his players to, uh, adapt, but also he adapts. That's one of the things about Bill Belichick. I think that, uh, is underrated when we tell the story of how he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. He has stolen from every coach out there. When he gets beaten by something, he says, I've got to learn that. I've got to figure out how to use that. That's why Cam Newton makes so much sense, because just practicing against Cam Newton for this defense is going to help them the next time they face Lamar Jackson, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and watch and watch them do, I mean, the compl- the coup de grace would then be them going out and signing Colin Kaepernick to right. like some sort of backup deal to have on the on the uh, the practice squad of it, like the defense is able to practice against him on top of that. I mean, watch them just completely reform right. their in, their entire team in, in, in ways that they can attack offenses that are now becoming the premier offenses in the league, like you just mentioned, Lamar Jackson. I mean, they've been trying to figure out, or they've at least haven't had to contain, but at least they've gone up against uh, guys like Russell Wilson, I mean, other mobile quarterbacks in the past. And so now with Dak Prescott now becoming a much bigger portion, a part of the league. I mean, they now had to go up against, well, they went up against Josh Allen twice this past season. And we're seeing how that rivalry is now starting to shift the ASC East. I mean, it's just now with that being more prevalent within the league, how do you not take that and try and integrate that into your offense some way, somehow in a way that now makes your, your offense now one of the, one of the, uh, one of the offenses that now runs that a similar style of offense. And I think that's the way that they have to do it. Yeah, at least, or at least a capability mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. And in, in, in a week where you're facing a defense, and this is again where I think because Bill Belichick trusts his players, I cite this so many times. This is like the 87th time I've cited it. They beat the Rams by running two tight ends and two running backs in a spread formation, something they never practiced. But they mm-hmm. said, I think this is going to work in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. And it did because he trusted his players to execute something, even if he never saw him with his own eyes them do it in practice. And I think a lot of coaches don't trust their players and only trust their players to do the thing that they practice a thousand times. And it leads to boring football and it leads to coaches uh, getting outmaneuvered. So yeah, it's, you're absolutely right that there's another move coming, right? It may be Josh Gordon coming back to the Patriots. It may be Antonio Brown coming back to the Patriots. There's been a lot of hot rumors about Antonio Brown and Tom Brady, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who you hear. Like Mike Lombardi says it's, mm, I think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, other beat writers in Tampa, Diana Rossini, I think, said not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I, we've learned to – we hear lots of things aren't going to happen until it happens. Hey, exactly. Um, exactly. Chris Allen, Chris Allen, FFWX, if you don't know, number fire, four for four. And it warms my heart to say football guys. <laughs> uh, and Chris, I, I have to ask first, uh, just because of your handle, Chris Allen, FFWX, you can find him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um Weather. You've been writing about weather. It's what is what have you learned? And it's also a simple answer to say learned is there's not really any truisms when it comes to weather and fantasy football. But you got the WX mm-hmm. at the end of your handle. What wisdom have you been able to extract from watching that part of the game closely? 
I would say that the easiest thing that I've been able to pull out is that we shouldn't overreact to even the like the the minor weather concerns, and that's where I've seen a lot of the a lot of the narratives start to form like over the last couple of seasons, and I start to pay attention to it a bit more. When uh, if there's rain, people start to freak out and think that okay, well, it's always going to be about the running game now. It's the running game and the short passing game. Uh, high winds, uh, first off, we don't know specifically what high winds means when a lot of broadcasters start to announce it. So it's just like, all right, well, they're saying high winds. So now, I mean, the kicking game, find another kicker. Uh, if the, again, we're down, we're back to the short passing game. So guys like John Brown, Mike Evans, uh, guys that play outside, we can't use them. We can only play slot receivers. We can only find like the James White guys that are going to be catching passes out of the backfield. That's not always the case. I mean, we've seen a number of games where it's been uh, 15, 17 mile an hour winds like coming across the field and games have functioned just fine. Uh, we've seen, uh, I mean, actually, was it this past season? I believe it was Washington against San Francisco, the quote unquote mud bowl, like where they just had a ton of rain like come through there. And so we've seen the extremes happen in that regard where weather has like definitely impacted the game. I think there was like a touchdown scored in that game, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe a few field goals. Mm-hmm. But it's it's at the extremes where we should really start to form our opinions and start to make other plans as fantasy managers. Uh, I think any time that folks start to say that, well, because the weather conditions are X, you have to do this. Uh, when everybody when anybody tells me that like, when I, t- I have to do something, I kind of give them the side eye anyway. But for the most part, it's it's at the extremes where we start to where we should have our concern. I mean, 19 mile an hour winds. I mean, heavy rain. I mean, we're talking uh, like I think the the highest in terms of like heavy rain is something over like 0.1 inches per hour. Right. Uh, so that's where we're starting to actually talk about like a deluge somewhere, something like that. Uh, but that's where you should start to get concerns. But I think a lot of the the weekly uh, week in week out. Uh, it's going to be 15 mile an hour winds or something like that. I, I shouldn't be, I'm not as concerned as I used to be because a lot of the narratives are con- just constructed around those extreme cases. I mean, when people think snow is going to be on the ground, we think back to, I think it was, I think Frank Gore's like first season with the, with the Bills or no, actually Frank Gore's with the Colts. Then they were playing the Bills. And I think it was a few inches of snow. They had to, you know, move a bunch of snow away or whatever uh, in order for, I think, uh, was it still, I forget who the kicker was at the time, in order to kick the winning field goal. But I forget what a, uh, it was like Frank Gore versus LaShawn McCoy. And like, they both wound up with, I think, 60 attempts uh, total between the two of them mm-hmm. throughout the game. But we remember those extreme events. But when it comes to, again, the week in, week out, 15 mile an hour, 17 mile an hour winds. I'm not as concerned as I, as I used to be. And I think that's one of the key things that I think where we can find the edge of people overreacting to some of that information and we can start to find value in some of our rosters that way. Especially in DFS. Oh, yeah. DFS is where weather becomes something that can totally change the complexion of how your week goes. And uh, just being in the start sit question business, the questions start coming in like Wednesday. And Thursday for Sunday games. And it's like I even go to sleep on Saturday night sometimes thinking I'm not going to be sure exactly what to recommend to people. I've got to recommend something. But I think you're absolutely right to focus in on extremes. And really it's just kind of something to help you break ties. And only when we get those on-the-field reports like a half an hour or an hour before the game 
can we be sure enough to say, okay, maybe it's time to take this quarterback out of the lineup because they're going to have sustained 20 to 30 mile an hour wins or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that you can forecast, especially with DFS, which is fun. It's like how it gets in the head of, of other people. Um, we had someone on, Brian Thompson, who I think works for AccuWeather. Yes, I've he, talked to him. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he was on, um, our Sunday morning show, like the week after he talked to you. Okay. And, he, and I have to say, this is impressive, but he said, I see in his Twitter uh, profile, he's like a horse player. And I learned to read a racing form when I was eight years old, thanks to my pop, where like you convince yourself that, you know, it's the length of the track, it's the conditions of the track, it's the jockey, it's, um, you know, the, the, the post position. Mm-hmm. So you hyperanalyze everything. But I remember when he was on, he's like, well, that's a southwestern facing stadium and the winds are coming in from the east. So that's going to create a swirling wind. You know, yeah. that's going to create a headwind. Like, wow, that's almost too much for me. That makes me feel like I shouldn't say anything about weather and just say play it straight up. Um, yeah, I am the mayor of Narrative Street and narrative belongs in fantasy football. Um, what's on your mind right now as far as stories? I think because of the lack of anything hard from OTAs or mini camps, we are looking more for those stories or at the very least what's going to matter when training camps open, knock on wood, that they do open at the end of this month. Welcome to July. Uh, fellow Cancerian, by the way, um, we could do a, your birth chart. I was going to be a professional astrologer for just a little bit. Ooh. Uh, my birthday's coming up. I'm like, well, I won't say because I, I, I'm one of those people that's like, I think, I don't know what this says about me since we're on the couch, but I don't, I don't want to say I don't like attention on my birthday because I, if people want to wish me happy birthday, that's great. And I appreciate mm-hmm. the affection, but it just makes me feel self-conscious as strange as that sounds. I feel the same I, way. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know. You know? I don't know. Why. I mean, it's like, look, I get to live this life that I live. So I feel like I kind of get a birthday present every day. So I don't need anything extra special just because it's another lap around the sun. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm getting way, way off track already. So what, what, what's on your mind, man? What's going on right now? Bouncing around your gourd with respect to football. Two, two storylines, and we'll, we'll pull up both of these thread, threads. But the first, I've been trying to think of how, how do we approach the, the Carolina offense as a whole? I mean, we've got the premier pieces, uh, the DJ Moores, uh, the Christian McCaffreys, but what do we do with the ancillary pieces like yeah, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas, if you want to, if you want to dabble in some late round tight ends. Uh, and I, I have, a, I have an idea regarding at least what we can expect uh, for some of the ancillary players. So that, that's one thing I want to pull out. The, the second, uh, the second thing that I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my head around is what to do with some of these displaced veterans. Uh, the, the Damien Williams, the carry on Johnson's, the Marlon Max of the world. And we see, I mean, if, if best ball drafts are any indication of their value at this point, I mean, those guys are, I mean, they're, they're almost a quote unquote football dead. I mean, they're, they're, they're not a part of most people's plans when it comes to drafting because you've got Clyde Edwards Hilaire going in the, the second round. Uh, you've got, uh, Jonathan Taylor going in the, in the third round, fourth round. Uh, I mean, a lot of these rookies, but based off of, based off of draft capital have now been pushed farther up in, in their, in drafts. Uh, so, but what do we, how do we value them like moving forward? And uh, so th- those are two things that I want to play with. So back back to the Carolina one, though. Mm. Uh, so DJ Moore, I mean, 
wonderful season uh, uh, in 2019, breakout season. And I keep for for me out of out of all of that, I think we should have seen the breakout season coming. Uh, I keep going back to that video of them from All or Nothing when uh, Steve Smith was clowning him and saying that he wasn't a real receiver. I think that that was one of the the funniest moments I think to me out of the. I, I love Steve Smith, uh, but I think that was one of the funniest moments. And I think the way that Steve actually wound up like actually talking with DJ Moore. And, and what he said about him, I mean, gl- I mean, just glowing reviews, thinking that he was going to be the next Steve Smith, so on and so forth. I think that, that was, a, a for me, that's glowing praise. And what he was able to do this past season between Cam Newton, Kyle Allen, and Will Greer, I think highlights like one of those, like his ability as a receiver. I, I know that folks like Matt Harmon uh, were talking him up like well before, thinking that he could become like one of those premier receivers in the league. And we actually saw some of that like bear out in 2019. But now we've got Curtis Samuel, uh, who has been injured for, I think, a, a significant part of his early career. And then now they add Robbie Anderson into the mix. So bear with me a second. Mm-hmm. So let's let's assume for a second that, I mean, knock on wood, pray to whatever football gods that, that are out there. Uh, let's assume or let's say that even in, let's say in the event that Christian McCaffrey were to get hurt again, nobody wants that. Couldn't couldn't imagine it. Could imagine a world without Christian McCaffrey, like in the in the Carolina Panthers offense. But so his as of right now, his backup is what Reggie Bonifon. Right. What if instead, let's say Reggie Bonifon actually winds up being that backup, the direct backup, and he winds up taking the the carries. But what if on top of that now Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson are now taking carries out of the backfield? Mm-hmm. What if they use them not necessarily as the deep threats that we've come to know them as, but just as playmakers that can actually augment or complement everything that Christian McCaffrey can do? So instead of having a direct backup as being just one person, they split his skills into multiple people, which, I mean, in Christian McCaffrey's defense, I mean, he does the work of like two or three people anyway. I mean, from his skill set, I mean, his skill set as a receiver, his skill set as a running back. I mean, it would almost make sense or in a comical way that in order to get back to what Christian McCaffrey can do, you probably need like three people in order to do that anyway. I mean, Curtis Samuel converted running back. We saw his ability to uh, to actually make plays out of the backfield for the past couple of seasons with Carolina. I mean, Robbie Anderson can do the same thing in terms of, I mean, you just get the ball in his hands and then he can take it from there. So we already have concerns with Carolina's offensive line. I mean, one of, I mean, has to be in the bottom half, if not one of the worst already. If they didn't even bother to address offensive line, like in the draft, nothing but defense that they drafted. Why wouldn't they at least look at, at least to me, the assumption of rational coaching? Right. Why wouldn't they try and build their offense around using them, not just as vertical threats, but as threats at all levels of the field? And that's and that's where I'm thinking a lot of that value is going to come, not just as especially with Teddy Bridgewater, like while he can hit the deep ball, like if he needs to, not as much. I mean, uh, we didn't really see a lot of that with him in his time in New Orleans. But instead of having to force Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson and typecasting them into these deep threats, why can't they just be playmakers out of the backfield? Why can't they just, you know, have Christian McCaffrey motion to one side, have mm-hmm. Curtis Samuel like run around the backfield, pitch it to him, and then they're gone. Same thing. Motion Curtis, uh, uh, motion, uh, Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. 
then have Robbie Anderson do a jet sweep across the side. He's gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just why, I mean, they can use almost like an, like a, let's say I'm thinking of like a, um, uh, like a, uh, what is it? Like a bullfighter. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that this is going to be your weakness. So let the defense come do a little Olay, dump it off to Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and let them, and let them work their magic after that. What, what, when, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, is that possible? It, yes. And I think that you're absolutely right. And, um, Johnny Sanchez in the chat room says, uh, they've hinted at getting Curtis involved yes. in a great topic. Yeah. No, listen, there, I've, got, I've got a lot to say on this, right? And I think that Dan Hendry at Football Guys just did an article, and I did one on the eve of camp last year, like the 10 most important offenses to watch. And I think we're looking for the ascendant offenses. I can't remember who it was I was talking to. Um, I think it was maybe Chris Towers. I can't remember on Twitter about team level analysis for fantasy football. Let's not mm-hmm. get down to player level analysis and just team level analysis. And if you can, figure out a few of the offenses that will overachieve expectations, then you're going to find fantasy overachievers. You know, last year, Baltimore, for instance. And it's narrative street, right? Because last year it was Greg Roman getting the reins and even some of the quotes saying, yeah, Lamar Jackson's going to run, run, run. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it created an overachiever in Mark Ingram and created an overachiever in Mark Andrews. And, of course, Lamar Jackson was a league winner, or at least get you to the precipice. Absolutely, Carolina is one of the offenses that you should at least take a stand on. Because what we're going to see is very different than the last thing we saw. If mm-hmm. only because Teddy Bridgewater is better than Kyle Allen, a lot better than Kyle Allen. And they hired Joe Brady, the magician who created you may, maybe the greatest college offense of all time right, last right. year. Right. And then we have, and then what's funny is then that intersects with the Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow. These are important players for fantasy football. Was it Joe Brady? Was it the scheme? Or was, did the players make the, the Joe Brady look good? Uh, you know, lots to think about here. Um, but, and then it, 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 the key to how it all cascade to me, Chris, is how aggressive will Matt Rule be? Mm-hmm. Um, is he going to be like Cliff Kingsbury and go all in? And, and, and so, you know, we're not going to do half measures, right? We're not going to slowly implement what we're doing because there was no off season. No, I'm going to trust, you know, Brady and Bridgewater have worked together. So mm-hmm. Brady knows what he's going to get out of him. Like you said, okay, offensive line, we have one interesting move to look at, trading Tri Turner for Russell Okung. I think there's some t- idea to like, they're not going to, they weren't going to extend Turner. Okung kind of comes off the books after this year, but Okung yeah. is going to be a much better pass blocker. Maybe they don't trust Greg Little as much as they thought. Uh, but they took him in the second round. Maybe they'll kick him inside a guard or something. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. a new regime. So everything's on the table. But I think it makes sense, and their defense might be the worst in the league. Certainly going through a ton of transition. Like you said, every single pick on defense, what does that tell you? Right. Um, So this could be a high-scoring game script team. They're playing from behind a lot. And I do think that you're right to highlight the idea that Curtis Samuel could be used in a very different way. And if you were to ask me who were the players who had the biggest gap between fantasy productivity and how well they actually played, Curtis Samuel might be number one on that list. Mm -hmm. Curtis Samuel is really good. And as you pointed out, people have to remember, he's converting to wide receiver, and he was facing injuries. Uh, I really thought that Curtis Samuel would be much closer to DJ Moore in value last year, but Kyle Allen just couldn't harvest the value there. And, I, you know, Tate Bridgewater's not a great downfield passer. He had Devontae Parker in college to really help him on the downfield passing. 
Um, and Curtis Samuel's not that guy. Robbie Anderson might be that guy. Another thing that's fascinating to me, Chris, is Robbie Anderson and Matt Rule will go way back to Temple. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he knows exactly mm-hmm. what he's getting there. So I think you're right to consider a wider target tree and a different way of using Curtis Samuel. And I know that I've seen other people bring up the idea, is Curtis Samuel the actual handcuff to McCaffrey? Makes sense to me. I don't I, know. I, I mean, that makes sense. I it, mean, well, why, it makes sense also. Go ahead. Why not? I mean, especially, and another point on Curtis Samuel, and I've seen this like put up beforehand, uh, where, I mean, of course, uh, over the past like few seasons, I mean, air yards has been one of those like premier stats in order to like highlight how a player is being used and that like how they can also convert some of those air yards and actual receiving yards. Curtis Samuel, he was up there like over 1600 air yards because he couldn't translate yeah. them into actual yards because of the quality of targets that he was getting. So, I mean, if we're already seeing him earn a lot of, like, he's earning some of that workload for some of the top five receivers in the league. Now, on top of that, we're, we're, we're hinting or we're talking and logically talking about him being used as a, as a player out of the backfield. I mean, why not invest in a guy like that? I'm very similar to Robbie Anderson, but again, as we mentioned in these COVID times, it's, it's hard to, for me, to get behind a player that is switching teams this season. And that, and that goes across the board. I mean, for almost any player. Now they might be getting workouts. They might have been connect, like Teddy might have been connecting with them since, uh, since the jump. But at least for me, it's, it's hard for me to get behind a lot of these players that are switching teams and in this, in this environment right now, because we just don't know. There's a much more uncertainty behind him than a guy like Curtis Samuel, who we've seen do this beforehand. I think it was in the 2018 season. There'd be times where we would see a player sprinting down the side of the field and getting a rushing touchdown or even a passing touchdown. I'd be like, Oh, look, oh, that's that, that's that new guy, DJ mm-hmm. Moore. Like, no, that's Curtis Samuel. Oh, okay. So this guy can move too. I mean, at one point, at least their, their paths were intertwined when they were still newer to the fantasy community. But then of course, DJ Moore was the one that broke out this past season. I think that they can get back to that, especially with as aggressive as Matt Rule and Joe Brady can be, especially with their quick passing RPO concepts that they, that they've put in. That's been staples of their offensive philosophies. So it's just. For me, it highlights the fact that guys like Curtis Samuel have value. Robbie Anderson has value. And picking your spots and trying to pick up at least one of them uh, in your in your fantasy leagues is, I think, it's paramount to getting some of that late-round success. Yeah, getting a shares of this offense. And <laughs> it's, um, it's also about – so you mentioned the thing about Curtis Samuel and using him in various ways. And I want to point out, and this is something I'll give a nod um, – I think it was Josh Norris who brought this up, and I've already brought it up like in the last couple of weeks. But uh, Curtis Samuel had 19 rush attempts last year. Nine mm-hmm. were in the last four games when Scott Turner took over the play calling. Ooh. That makes the name Antonio Gibson pop into my head. Mm-hmm. Another A similar type of talent. Um, but going back to the, one of the original things we talked about with Belichick, trusting your players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, yes, you know, no coronavirus, coronavirus, no chance to install Right, no chance to see how guys look in roles, but is this actually going to favor the players, the coaches that trust their players, and say it's just football, man? You know, it's football. We've all played football for years and years, coached football for years and years. Just because we only have a limited time to install these things doesn't mean. You know, another thing that I like here, just for creating fantasy football buzz, Chris, they open with the Raiders. Um. <laughs> Now, and then they, and then they play the Bucks and then they play the Chargers. So, you know, mm-hmm. those are some tough defenses. And they play Arizona. 
Atlanta, Chicago, New Orleans. You know, it's, yeah. you know it, with that first game, you absolutely – and Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore are going to cost too much. But after that first game – and I'm looking at Superflex leagues. I'm about to do the mm-hmm. Superflex Dynasty best ball startup draft. Like it's – my brain goes – when it goes to screensaver, I'm automatically mm-hmm. like thinking about that draft. <laughs> it's going to start next week. Anyway, Superflex. Teddy Bridgewater would be in lights if I was mm-hmm. playing a super flex league this year as my second quarterback because of all these things. As you said, getting the ball quickly. And um, Curtis Samuel also makes me think of Henry Ruggs oh. in this idea that you think of field stretchers. Oh, mm-hmm. r- nine routes, run, 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 stretch the field. And Robbie Anderson can do that anyway. Um, but I think of these guys more as you want to get the ball in their hands when they're already moving, right? Mm-hmm. You want them already up to speed on, slant, catch. That's what on you a want. jet sweep on something like that. And that's, what's going to create. And then as you pointed out, and I want to punctuate this conversation this way, right? Cause I have, I wish I had it here to hold up. Um, I have a, a painting of a bullfighter that I got in college at, like, for three bucks at a salvation army. So now we're talking about, I've had this thing for 25 years and I'm taking <laughs> location to location and I was going to put it up behind me as my new backdrop for the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of weird. But see, now you're making me think that I should go back to her and say, I, I think it's the bullfighter. Yeah. And that's ex- exactly why I've carried that as the emblematic thing, because you never take the bull by the horns. You know, you distract. Don't take the fight head on. Yeah. Misdirect. Uh, it's, it, it, it's exciting. Okay, let's talk about these running backs. Because right. you, we got, I mean, we could attack this from any angle, right? There's Kansas City, there's Detroit, there's Indy, there's Baltimore. We can even talk about the Rams. Because that, right, that's the yeah. big five of the rookie running backs. We could even sprinkle in a little Tampa, a little Buffalo. I mean, there's yeah, yeah. rookie running backs and how they change the complexion. What's the biggest uh, win here? Which it can be taking a, a specific rookie. It can be taking a specific veteran. It could be fading a whole backfield. What's the strongest feeling you have about a backfield that changed because of the draft? I think I'm stuck on I'm taking the cheese on Damian Williams again. I cannot, for some reason, get over this idea that it, it, I'm probably I'm I will. I mean, people can come at me and say that it's because of recency bias. I can I can absolutely understand that. Uh, but in the games where he was healthy, I mean, there really wasn't much of a question as to who is the starter. Now, of course, he was battling it out with LaShawn McCoy and an elder like uh, LaShawn McCoy at that point, And he didn't have a first round rookie to contend with. I totally understand that. Uh, but I mean, we saw what he is capable of doing within that offense. I mean, there's, there are far, there aren't too many other running backs within the league that can, that can work a wheel route quite like Damian Williams can. And also when it comes to breakaway speed, there aren't too many other running backs that are capable. I mean, the only person, what was it in week five, six or something like that when he broke off the 86 yard touchdown, the only person that could catch him was Tyreek Hill. The only other fastest, the only other fast person right. on the team. So, I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I mean, I, I definitely liked him, liked him as a prospect and totally understand the idea that, uh, first round rookie or first round running backs, they wind up, they're walking into at least a significant workload. But for me, again, I just can't shake after what he was capable of doing once he was healthy, what he was able to do within that offense, like the production he was able to sustain within an offense when healthy. It's to me, those guys just don't go away. I can't see a, I can't see a, 
uh, scenario where Clyde, Clyde Edwards Hilaire winds up with a even 70%, uh, like workload share, like within that right. offense. Uh, for me, it's more of, I mean, I can, I can talk myself into 60 40, uh, but like with the 60 heading into Damian Williams way, unless he gets injured again. But if both are healthy, I, again, I'm just I'm not sold on the idea that he winds up taking over that backfield win. I mean, he I believe he averaged something like at least 70, 80 percent of the touches throughout the back half of the season. Like once I think it was like yeah. 13, 14, like once he got healthy. I mean, that's the same throughout the entire playoffs. He was a part of that comeback that allowed them to actually win the Super Bowl. I mean, after all that's happened again, recency bias, you can hit me over the head with that all day long. But that has to, to me, it has to mean something. And from his athletic profile, it lends it lends itself so much more to the way that Kansas City wants to play. I mean, versus any of the other rookie back uh, rookie running back situations that we're talking about. It's not like with DeAndre Swift. I mean, Carryon Johnson is a much he plays much slower. He doesn't have the same profile as Damian Williams. Marlon Mack. Let's not even get into that. He doesn't have the same profile at all. So I mean, with but because of that, I'm just looking at Damian Williams a lot of the times in the fifth, sixth round, and it's just. Why, why can't I have a piece of that offense that I think in week one has the significant, a significant touch share? And I would assume he holds on to that for as much as possible. I mean, unless they're, I mean, if they want to talk about a, uh, a split between them, okay, fine. I'll take a split in a Patrick Mahomes led offense all day long. I, I have no issue with that at all, but at least for me, I, I will take the guy that, I've seen work within that offense. I know can handle the workload once he actually once if he's healthy, and then uh, I'll I'll take that I'll take that off or take that uh, value all day long in the fifth fifth or sixth round. Yeah, no, and it might even be seventh or eighth round. That's the beautiful <laughs> thing, and they could both hit. I brought this up on the the show a few weeks ago. I think both Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Damian Williams can be hits at their ADP. Um, I do think you're going to see some sort of split, and I think Damian Williams is still going to hold on to those uh, snaps and touches when the coaches need someone on the field they can truly trust, uh, and that includes the red zone, right? I, I think I brought up a he's like a it could be a Bizarro J- Jerome Bettis this year, where <laughs> he you know he's in uh, at the goal line or in, in those red zone sets, maybe in on like hurry up offense, mm-hmm. and, and and then. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is more of the back between the twenties and uh, maybe he comes out on obvious passing downs uh, for pass blocking, but Damian Williams, because his hot zone, as far as execution in the passing game and in the red zone matches up with what's the most valuable part of a running backs fantasy profile is how could you not? Like you said, I like the idea that you said just very simply get a share of the Kansas city offense cheap, right? You're not Mahomes. Kelsey Hill, these guys are out of reach. You know, even Sammy Watkins. I know Sammy mm-hmm. Watkins is like, you know, the brown acid or something. Like it's going to be a bad trip if you take mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins. But the, still, the, the get some of this offense, and it doesn't necessarily cost you a top three round pick to get uh, somebody in this offense that can really help because we know that these offenses magnify the value of any talent in them. Uh, offenses like Kansas City, like Baltimore. Um, and another thing, as we're talking about this, Chris, I wonder if in all of these situations that the rookies could have a little more trouble this year adjusting to NFL conditioning. Maybe mm-hmm. they hit the rookie wall a little earlier. 
maybe they get um, dinged in training camp where, because we know with rookies, with the exception of Odell Beckham famously, when you miss training camp, you know, when you get hurt and you miss those practices, you miss the preseason, sometimes it's really hard to make up that gap as the season goes on. Nikhil Harry. It's the veterans season. And then year two becomes the breakout year. So uh-huh. I almost wonder if in general we'll look back and say in all of these situations it favored the veteran because they know how to keep their body in shape for an NFL season. Right, right. It, 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 without having being able to go to the gym or whatever that they can't do. So that's every time I think of Damian Williams, Chris, I think of we hear that Clyde Ebertelaire strains his hamstring in the second week of training camp, and then Damian Williams whoop back up to the third round. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so real, well, let's do rapid fire. Okay, let's just do lightning round. Okay, let's do it. Let's go through these. So the choices are um, the rookie, the veteran, or none of the above. Okay. Okay. Detroit. The rookie. I wish I liked DeAndre Swift more. I like Carry On Johnson. I have an affinity for him. <laughs> I just I love a guy at Auburn where like the number one play called the goal line is the Wildcat, and he was still finding ways to score. But I'm living That's in true, the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm living in the past. Indianapolis. Uh the veteran. Well, it's he's so cheap, right? I mean, yeah. Marvin Mack is, um, and that's another situation. I don't know if Jonathan Taylor's going to necessarily pull a hamstring, but the other thing is Marlon Mack. I, I do think you're going to see. I think Indianapolis could have one of those offenses, Chris, where they're running the ball like 30 or 35 times a game. I mean, who was the? I mean, Marlon Mack was instrumental in their win over Kansas City. What was that in Week Five or right. Four or something like that? I mean, he had what, it was like 29 for 132 or something along those lines, where they were able to control one of the best offenses in the league via their defense. And then Marlon Mack was able to help them extend their time of possession based off of the fact that, I mean, one, they have the great offensive line. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, Marlon Mack was instrumental in them being able to topple the Kansas city chiefs at the time. So I got to give it to him on that. It's just, you know, in general, and I say this as an emotional fantasy football player and wanting people to be emotional fantasy football players, because it's an outlet. My mm-hmm. Lord, we need outlets more than any time ever. Mm-hmm. So be emotional. Do do what makes you feel good. It's fantasy football supposed to be a, an outlet for us. Um, but we overreact. And we and Marlon Mack, I think, is a good example of maybe overreacting. And I still think, I mean, I, the one thing I worry about is if Jonathan Taylor breaks that 80-yard touchdown run week one mm-hmm. on, on one of the eight carries they plan on giving him the next week, you got to use him more in the next week. But mm-hmm. the nice thing about Marlon Mack, the best argument I can make for Marlon Mack is here's a player who has improved every year of his career. And this could be kind of a, a D'Angelo Williams situation where we were ready to move on from D'Angelo Williams when they drafted Jonathan Stewart. And then D'Angelo Williams turned into the best possible D'Angelo Williams he could have become mm-hmm. in the NFL. Okay. Yeah. Baltimore. The rookie. That that could be my. I mean, I'm from Ohio. That might sure. be my 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 O state love. I mean, quote unquote. Uh, but uh, I'm, I have to go with the rookie there. Yeah, what the, and, and that's another one where and Mark Ingram, man, there's so many things to admire about his game. But yeah. again, it's that the thing that I keep fixated on, and we saw it again. By the way, was Philadelphia was considering J.K. Dobbins uh, at the pick they took Jalen Hurts, and boy, with the Miles mm. Sanders crowd, it would have been. Oh, sad about that. Crush. You know, I mean, the Miles Sanders thing for this year. I mean, this might, this really might be 
I mean, if Miles Sanders goes off this year, that would be the time. Really, Boston Scott's mm. the guy, and Matt Waldman favorite that's being overlooked there. Mm-hmm. But with J.K. Dobbins, that offense was so good at getting runs to the second level with Gus the Bus and Mark oh, yeah. Ingram. J.K. Dobbins is going to house those runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at I, some I point, care. again, you have to say, well, you know, Mark Ingram, you're the veteran, and you're the leader of this team in a lot of ways. But how can we not give this guy 12 or 15 touches a game? And 12 mm-hmm. or 15 touches a game was enough for Mark Ingram to be a low running back one last year. If J.K. Exactly. Dobbins yeah. gets that. I think what people underestimate is this offense is going to put defenses in such a bind. I love what Devin Duvernay adds, too, the vertical mm-hmm. speed from the slot. Um, we got some questions about center. There's some good news about Matt Skura. Of course, they got to replace Marcel Yanda, Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, yeah. But this offense, how do you draw up a game plan to defend? And Marquise Brown's going to be healthier, right? Brown mm-hmm. and Boykin on the outside, Duvernay in the slot, Mark Andrews at tight end, and a running game that you have to play 11-11 football with Lamar Jackson, who can take any run to the third level, and these big, rugged running backs, and then with J.K. Dobbins, you have the flexibility, the fluid athleticism, and the long speed to house those runs. I know people mm-hmm. like to talk about regression to the mean, regression to the mean. I don't, I'm don't. i not convinced Baltimore's offense is going to take a step back. I'm not <laughs> well, conv- I mean, I what if that is their are... mean? I, I, could, that, could that not? I mean, I don't think that, I'll, I'll be clear, I don't think a 9% touchdown rate, I think that's what like uh, Lamar threw last year. I right. don't think that that is going to be his mean. But let's say from an offensive standpoint, them being able to put up, uh, what, like 30, I think they were pretty close to like 30 points per game. I mean, what if that is possible like for them? Like if they set the pace early on, especially with what they've been able to add so far, like on offense, especially now with, yeah, like you just mentioned, Marquise Brown, like being actually healthy this season. Right. I mean, if that's what he was able to do last season, being hurt for most of it. I mean, now imagine a full year, a full off season being able to recoup, get healthy. And now they add in, yeah, they have Devin Duvernay working in as the quote unquote, like a big slot, like type receiver. I mean, what what's how again i don't know how you wind up slowing down an offense like that and especially on the on the backside having a defense that's still i mean pretty daggone good that can mm. stop a lot of the opposing offenses as well so it's just it's hard for me to see how i mean tennessee they they had their number uh in the in the right. playoffs and i think what a lot of it had to do with variance i mean the number of drop passes the miss, uh, the failed fourth down conversions. But if we get even more of those game scripts, like where Lamar is actually forced into being that, I mean, what, 300 yard passer and 100 yard rusher. I mean, the, I mean, that's, that's the tide that lifts all the boats. I mean, and we're talking about at that point, if we see more of those type of game scripts, I mean, heck, you might even see people throwing in Willie Sneed into their, in their DFS lineups at some point. Yeah. I, and I, Baltimore's opening schedule, I, spend a lot of time looking at the schedule at this point in the calendar, fantasy football calendar. Baltimore's opening schedule is Cleveland, Houston, Kansas City, Washington, Cincinnati. If it's, and even even for those games like Cleveland, Washington, Cincinnati, where Dobbins could just get the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, let's yeah. get the rookie. Let's, let's get him you know some hits and get him used to the NFL. Mm-hmm. I'm, I want pieces of the Baltimore offense. Again, like, I think of it on a team level, Chris. Like if you said, I'm going to draft, you know, just Ravens, Chiefs, I don't mm. know who else, what the offenses we like. Maybe you like the Buccaneers or whatever. Like San Fran's to some idea, to some extent. You know, if you just said, I'm going to pick your other three favorite offenses. If you said, my mm. whole team is going to be Ravens, Chiefs, even if you're taking like, uh, you know, Gus Edwards or, or, mm. or you're taking, um, 
you know, I don't even know, like, uh, uh, your last round pick is, is, or, I mean, definitely Nicole Hardman, by the way. Yes. Nicole oh, Hardman yeah. mm-hmm. is, should be on everyone's team this year. That's another team that's like, I'm not sure how you defend that offense this year. But if you just focus on these offenses and then, or, or even if you have clarity on your stay away offenses, mm-hmm. now we can't necessarily have New England on that list. All right, real quick. Right. And we got like 10 minutes to go off the rails. Real quick. I'll need someone's rapid fire. I said rapid fire and I ruined it. <laughs> um, Rams. Rookie. Yeah, I'm real, I, I like Acres. I, th- I mean, if if they had an inclination to really feature Daryl Henderson, I mean, why? What, what's the love for Malcolm Brown at that point? Like we we think that we know best when it comes to, I guess, evaluating talent, like the way that they should operate. But coaches, they, they seem to have this affinity. Like we were just talking about Gus Edwards. Right. I mean, they, they have J.K. Dobbins, Mark, uh, you know, Mark Ingram. Like, why should they be messing around with Gus Edwards? I mean, Gus Edwards, one, he's actually pretty daggone good. I yeah. mean, he's not bad. Uh, but I mean, the say at this along the same vein, I mean, if they had Todd Gurley, they had Daryl Henderson. I mean, why, why even mess with a guy like Malcolm Brown? Like there's, there's, there has to be something else behind the scenes that, that we're missing that allows players like that to still be able to get the snaps, get the touches and then produce on the field that takes away from some of the guys that we would love to see get featured. And for Daryl Henderson, for all the love that he got. Uh, this past season, I mean, I'm just not at this point. I'm not seeing it, and I'm all for Cam Akers. Yeah, I like Akers a lot. I want to hold on. I loved Henderson at Memphis. Yes, uh, yeah. And I loved whenever the Rams moved up to take him. I did feel like Gurley had one foot in the grave, and I wanted the next Rams back. I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be the next Rams back. But you have to piecing together from the outside looking in. They just don't have confidence in Henderson. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm even. I don't have my Kiki QT socks on, but <laughs> that's the same thing with QT. You know, just like get Randall Cobb. That's another. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe the Texans are a good offense to add to that list of say just draft players from these offenses mm-hmm. um, because somebody is going to benefit. I don't know who's going to stay healthy and who's not, but somebody is going to benefit absolutely. Um, and, you know, we'll see these these things. Hopefully, again by the end of this calendar month, we have specific hard information coming in from practices. Um, everybody stay uh, healthy and safe out there. Mm-hmm. It's been a roller coaster. Speaking of the roller coaster, we got the 10 minutes off the rails. And first, uh, people in the chat room are asking about the beers behind you. They got mighty fine beers behind you <laughs> and beer in general. And I'm reminded, was it Benjamin Franklin that said, like, blessing of your heart if you brew good ale or something like that? You yeah. Know, this idea that uh, – or beer is proof that God knows – or, or did he say – that's maybe Beer's that's proof that Smith. God loves God us. loves us and wants us to be yeah. happy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I get my. I'm too old. I'm about to turn 45. I'm too old. Beer, go. Uh, so it's a hobby of mine. I've been doing it for 10 plus years now. Uh, the guy that actually got me inter- interested in brewing beer, he owns a, a local shop uh, about like 15, 20 minutes from my house. I mean, great, great people, uh, great folks there, and uh, just another another great community that you can be a part of. So I've gone and done uh, competitions uh, in the past. Actually, that's a part of the ribbons and stuff you see like hanging behind me. Uh, it's just from competitions, just getting out and just, it's one of those like, Hey, uh, if you're hanging out with some folks here, try this. And especially if you have folks over for, uh, you know, for dinner, uh, for cards. Uh, I mean, obviously last year, not now, uh, but sure. I mean, what, what, you know, for just for family gatherings and whatnot, like, Hey, I've made this, try it. And for me, uh, I, I try and live my life by the, the three F's of family, of, of family, food, family, and fellowship. 
I mean, that's, that's kind of how I try and live my life by just surrounding myself with good people. I love eating good food and then being able to talk and interact with folks. And then the way that I do that is by actually, you know, here, have a drink. I mean, you know, not to get people inebriated, but just right. here, try, like try this thing that I've created. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the creation part of it is what really got me into home brewing. And now I've just, I've gone off the rails a lot and tried just some, some wild things in the past and like just adding whole fruit to a beer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love doing that experimenting with things. And the, the downside is that once you make beer, like you're married to like five gallons of it and you have to try and find a way to like pawn it off to people like, you know, over, over the next like few months. But it's just one of those things where, uh, for, for us, I, I still remember this almost clear as day. Uh, when I first got into it, it was me and three of my friends. And on Sundays, we would get our families together. We would brew out in his garage. Kids would play out, like out in the, like out in his backyard in front of us. And then we would just kind of hang out, uh, you know, talk amongst ourselves and just watch our kids play and our families be together. I mean, that's part of the community or like part of the hobby itself that comes with home brewing is that you can spend some time outside with your family doing something that you enjoy. And that's, and that's why it's just kind of, you know, uh, I guess grown from there into this thing that I do, I guess maybe twice a month, uh, just depending on schedule. So a lot of the beers that you'll see like behind me, these are just some of my favorites. Um, I, I don't get out like a ton um, just because of, you know, well, ob- for obvious reasons right. now, but just in general, I mean, just getting out to breweries and whatnot, but that's what I like to sample whenever I travel. Uh, when uh, we were down in New Orleans, we got yeah. to hang out. I still got that t-shirt from Port Orleans. And like, uh, I still, if I could get my hands, if I could have taken that can home of that strawberry mm-hmm. milkshake IPA that I tried like while I was there, I wish I could have been able to take that. Uh, yeah. But either way, um, I mean, that's, that's what I like to sample. Like whenever I'm around, it's just good food, good beer, and just being able to like, cause it's a part of the culture. I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot to, I mean, when you go to different places, you get to sample the food there and that helps you like get immersed in the culture that's there. I mean, with New Orleans, I mean, that there's really no doubt about that, but also you can do the same with, with breweries. I mean, a lot of the place, a lot of like the local breweries that you can go to, I've got in-laws in Alabama, um, I've got in-laws in Georgia and normally when I'm there, I'm like, Hey, is there like a local brewery or something like that? We can go sit and hang out with for a little bit because you'll start to learn some of the stories about that particular area and some people that do things just their way. And that's what got them into brewing in the first place. And that's the fun part about brewing is that you, you learn more about their process, but you learn more about their take on the world, at least within the confines of brewing. So that's why I love doing it. It's uh, like you say, human connection, oh, yeah. handshake, and and also as you say, there's so much going on out there. It's just another thing where we should feel fortunate because I'm old enough to remember, like in the early '90s, if you saw Sam Adams or Sam Smith or mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, a, a harpoon or mm-hmm. something like that, you're like, wow. And now it's like all the colors of the rainbow. It's like the rain. It's like the white light refracted through a prism to a rainbow. And then each one of those colors of the rainbow refracted into all the colors of that color, you know, all the shades of that color and all the shades of that color where I, and I see now there's some great stuff down here, gnarly barley, which is uh, by the lake um, mm. and Zoni mash. Next time you come down, I'll take you over to Zoni mash. And yeah. Discovering but Zoni mash does stuff. Like we just had their blue Hawaiian, which is like coconut and pineapple and something else. And it's blue. It's actually blue. Um, I gotta try that. <laughs> and they're just doing all kinds of stuff. And I gotta give a shout out to my buddy Andy Parker, who was one of my fish tour buddies in the nineties, who was just into doing homebrew. Like he got a homebrew kit 
Mm-hmm. He went and worked out at Kona Brewing when it was still tiny in Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, now, and he was, I think, the third employee of Avery. I probably told you this when you were down here, but I'm telling it to the world now. Mm-hmm. And he's their barrel wrangler. So he gets to do stuff like, I know I'm going to do this kind of gosa, but I'm going to mm-hmm. age it in tequila barrels or something like that and That's come up wild. with these wild mad scientist combinations and just see what happens. Yeah, you I know? love it. It's yeah. it, it is cool that we're at this golden age. We're at the golden age of so many things right now. I mean, I know mm-hmm. coronavirus has put a pause on it, but hopefully it's given us some time to reflect and appreciate. I said this at the beginning of coronavirus, like why do we care so much about staying healthy and staying alive? Like, think about all those things that make mm-hmm. us appreciate that and hopefully look out for each other. The, the clock continues to to tick, Chris, and we just leave like o- open floor for the last couple minutes. Um, as you know, we're here and. We're still trying to show the lights. And I think a lot of this stuff, too, is like whatever lights you up, whatever turns you on, that's what people want to share is enthusiasm and positivity. And we want to still do that. But this is still a very heavy time and a very serious time. And, you know, we're trying to be responsive to all that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what Parting shots, what's on your mind? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll lead right into the um, – and we've talked about this. Uh, we talked about this beforehand, and I had to reach out and just give you – uh, a, a thumbs up as to the conversations you've been having with some of the guests. I mean, these are people with much bigger platforms than myself and just having some of those uncomfortable conversations that come with the things that we're seeing happen in front of us. Uh, like you doesn't matter like which social media platform that you turn on nowadays. I mean, you're likely to run into a story that just it, 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 it hangs on your heart. I mean, just seeing the things that are happening it get the, it, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've seen some, some stories of hope, some signs of hope, but uh, if you had asked me that same question back in early May, uh, I probably wouldn't have had the same uh, level of hopefulness that I have now. But uh, it's it's great to see a lot of folks having some of those uncomfortable conversations because it brings up topics that a lot of people just aren't ready to deal with. And uh, I'll have to give a shout out to uh, my buddy Sam, Sam Lane, who was a part yes. of the show. Um, the podcast series that he's been running, uh, listen, a podcast, uh, bringing up folks like myself, other people within the community, uh, Ray Garvin, uh, who's now part of the FTN, uh, uh, I guess the FTN crew over there. Shout out to Ray, uh, Marcus Grant, another wonderful person within the league. I mean, just other people getting their perspectives on growing up and being uh, African-American within the, within the U.S. So I, I want to shout that out and let people know that, I mean, there, there are folks that want to listen. There are folks that want to try and empathize and understand with uh, understand like what's going on, like within your mind, because we're not uh, it's we're, I guess the, the phrase like we're not a monolith that comes to mind because there are just different ways or different different paths to this. I guess the same uh, bubble that we all live in right now being African-American is just how we're viewed. And it's just I thought that uh, it's, it's very poignant nowadays to see that uh, a lot more a lot more great uh, new faces popping up within the fantasy industry not just people that look like me but women as well i mean i think it's it's all inclusive and i think a part of that is the fact that uh, we're seeing just what we were talking about with different breweries within the nation like popping up and saying it's all about being able for people to show their personalities be who you want to be and a lot of places will take you in and allow you to be that person that that you are and fantasy, the fantasy football community is largely that. I mean, I would say overall, I mean, there are some pockets of you know, the, the, the negativity. But for the most part, and the fantasy football community wants to learn. The fantasy football community wants to include you and have you and have your unique personality be a part of that. 
And I think that's been, it's been very uh, encouraging to me to see that level of, uh, I guess, enthusiasm to shine the light like where it needs to over the past couple of months. And it's been, uh, it's, it's been much easier for me to kind of step back out because I'll be honest, the last, uh, the last like month or so, my motivation has been down. It's just been, it's been hard for me to write. It's been hard for me to get motivated to do anything else. But with the way that the community has reacted and with it, the way I would say the world has reacted overall, uh, it's, it's been easier for a lot of folks to come out and say that, okay, we can, we can move on and we can, we can collectively, uh, be at least have the strength to keep moving. And it's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. We could do better. We can make each other stronger. We can learn from each other. Uh, I mean, what truly made America great <laughs> was a new culture that wasn't necessarily rooted in a, in a history or in a, a legacy that is limiting that there were no limits and there are a lot of things that great things that America have contributed to the world. And it's because of breaking down barriers between cultures, right? Like down here in new Orleans with like, like uh, andouille sausage, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the Germans are here saying, this is how you make sausage. And the Cajuns are like, well, here's some of the spices and some of the things you can put into mm -hmm. it, you know, or music or, or like you said, like talking to people about beer and learning from each other, um, listening. And, and I think, and it's funny because I'm not even sure how to handle this, Chris, because I think that, like you said, the fantasy football community is generally open-minded, generally mm -hmm. open to being told you, I mean, what do we do when we play fantasy football? We're told every week we're slapped in the face with you were wrong. You were wrong. You know, go back and figure out why you were wrong. Yes, go back yeah. and figure out what your analysis, what, what your blind spots were. And I think a lot of us, uh, no matter how enlightened those of us that are white, like no matter how enlightened you think you are, there's still more that you need to learn. There's still more that you can listen to, to understand, how, uh, uh, just uh, the reality of our culture. Um, and I know this is the, the thing that I feel like I wish I could do on the show in some way. And yes. And shout out to Sam, by the way, who was on the show about a, about a month ago. And, and Scott Fishbowl is coming up this week. Oh, yes. Yeah. This week too. Which division are you in? I'm in Pogs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Taking, taking it back. I was actually in a Pogs tournament. Uh, I had, I had binders full of it, different yeah. slammers, like the, the whole thing, like back, I was like, what, fifth or sixth grade, I think, when yeah. it was pretty hype. I mean, I, I loved it. So you're just like a little bit younger than me. I think by the time Pogs came along, I was at, I, cause I, uh, I'm trying to think what the, what the, the big, cause I can remember like muscle men, but it was mm -hmm. still like professional wrestling, but I'm jigsaw puzzles and I kind of, oh. I, I, I asked for that just because of jigsaw puzzles. Cause I did the whole people are like, what do we do during coronavirus lockdown? Jigsaw mm. puzzles, a thousand pieces oh, yeah. or higher. Yeah. Um, but, um, cause I know that, and I, I think that we're, I, I know that there's another perspective on, uh, of, I know that there are still a lot of people in this country and probably not a lot of people are listening to the show right now that still have some sort of fear or something that is keeping them from unclenching to embrace or or understand that what's happening in our country right now is not a scary or a bad thing, but it's of evolution. Mm -hmm. But I understand why that's, I understand that that's threatening for some segment of our population. And I, I do want to get to the heart of what are you afraid of? Because I can promise you that if your eyes and ears are open, we can show you that you're just not anything to be afraid of. 
that this is actually something that will be good for everybody if we can embrace it. But it's always, you know, with creative friction of history and how we go forward, uh, you know, um, mm. it is heavy, but I'm, I'm glad to hear Then we all feed off each other's energy and everybody's creating that positive energy in our community, including one Chris Allen, who now in addition to uh, number fire and four for four, you'll be able to find some of his work at football guys. Um, Chris Allen, FFWX, if you aren't already following him folks and you know hopefully by the end of this month again we'll be talking about real football scott fish bowl scott fish one of the best people in the business thank you and everybody who john bosch does some great stuff with his eliminators fantasy care there's a lot of people that have already been creating positivity out of all the energy we put into fantasy football thank you everybody so we'll have a lot to talk about please especially you know if you're in florida you're in arizona you're in texas you're in some of these places stay safe but Everywhere, please, everybody, social distance, wear the mask, wash your hands, look out for each other. Um, I, I, I hope that this can be the true. There's our second shot now to get this calmed down and we can all stick around to enjoy the things there are to enjoy on the other side of this. We can make it through together. Uh, always exchanging, stimulating uh, each other with our connections. So thank you, everybody, for giving us the opportunity to do this. Get a record player. Start a record club. Uh, because it's the ritual. It's, re- it's marrying music back to ritual. And whenever you take your record out and you handle it very gently, because it's a precious thing, and you put it on the record and the sound of the needle going on the record, we all know what that means, how that prompts you your whole life to remember it. It's a moment in your life when you slow down and you make yourself ready to receive something. All our young fans are like, what the f***? Yeah. How, what did he say? Three, two, one.